Blog Talk Radio. Seeker, you are listening to PGN, Prophetic Grace Network. This is the live internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. We are on every Sunday at 12 p.m. Texas time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern time, and on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Central time, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Today is Thursday, June 22nd of 2023, and we'll be talking about the earth reaped prophecy, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 20 today. Before we get there, I want to also share with you about the book of Revelation and give a quick overview of how it is organized. Maybe it's your first time listening to this program or maybe you've listened to PGN or to me before, but you haven't heard yet an overview of how the book of Revelation is organized. This is important because it will allow you to unlock secrets of the book of Revelation much more quickly and necessarily. So the book of Revelation has six parts. It begins with chapter 1 and it ends with verse, uh, excuse me, it ends with chapter 22. So the book of Revelation has 22 chapters. It is the 66th book of the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. It's the culminating book of the Bible. It's the pinnacle of the Bible, if you will. You might say, well, uh, research scientists, how can it be, how can it be the pinnacle of the Bible? The last three visions John the Revelator was shown, realities documented in the Bible about our future focus on the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on this earth. And then the great white throne judgment, which happens as a way to, uh, not as a way to, uh, what results from the great white throne judgment after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ uh, is the great white throne judgment which precedes the end of the age, the end of time. And finally, the last statement of prophecy, the last vision, the last documentary, if you will, is about the new earth. So in other words, what happens when this old earth wears out? The Bible tells us that God will fold it up like old clothing. So we'll transition literally from this present earth to a new earth where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more grief, no more mourning, no more death. So about 
the book of Revelation, which includes the new earth prophecy. So that new earth prophecy, it's the culminating vision in the culminating book of the Bible. Uh, the book of Revelation has six parts. It begins with a preface. I used to call it an abstract, but now uh, my perception is that it's a preface. Then there's a formal introduction. So both of these are in chapter one. The formal introduction begins with uh, words of John the Revelator, the narrator for the book of Revelation, as well as direct quotes from Jesus Christ. So in that way, for the second part, second part of chapter one, the second of six parts of the book of Revelation, we have words from both John the Revelator and Jesus Christ. The preface tells us, verses one to eight, what the book of Revelation is. And it gives us uh, not only a definition for the book of Revelation, it explains how we arrive at it. In other words, um, who 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 initiated this book how what was the flow of information so there's the idea that there should be the book of revelation well how how's that carried out where does the information go from who received the instruction then does it go then who does it go to and ultimately we arrive at John the revelator receiving the revelation we get a definition of what the book of revelation is and then a report of the take-home point. So that's all in the preface. Then the second half of chapter one in the book of Revelation is the introduction. So John the Revelator starts with day one, telling us, hey, I was on the Isle of Patmos, and I was there because of X, Y, Z. And then ABC happened. So he takes us to day one of him receiving, uh, day one of him experiencing the events that allowed him to write the book of Revelation, in other words, to record everything that he experienced and that he saw. So the book of Revelation, it does not reflect his own uh, ideas or thinking. It reflects supernatural experiences that he had, as well as documentaries about future realities that he was shown. So the, primarily that's the book of Revelation. So again, first two parts of the book of Revelation, all in chapter one, the preface for the book, verses one to eight. Uh, let me make sure I'm telling you that exactly right. And then uh, the second half of chapter one, yes, that's correct, verses one to eight, the preface, Second half of chapter one, the formal introduction, if you want to know, well, uh, where did it all start? Where was John the Revelator when these events happened? That's all there uh, in the second half of chapter one, verses nine to 20. Okay, what's the third part of the book of Revelation? It's seven letters for seven churches. So imagine that an omniscient God has something really important to talk about, including the Battle of Armageddon, the war to end 
all wars, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the way that he wants to communicate this is through a specific individual that lives in a point in time that precedes the Battle of Armageddon. So interestingly, when you look at 11 of the 12 books of the Minor Prophets, by my analysis, uh, 11 of those books, with the exception of Jonah, all talk about the Battle of Armageddon. Over and over again, we hear on that day. But like you and me, when God is talking to us, we want to hear from God about what do I need to do today? How do I solve the problems that I'm facing in life today? Lord, what do you have for me about today? And so we see in the book of Revelation, verbatim, the thoughts, including praise, as well as criticism for individuals in the seven churches that existed today at that time. So chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, 100% of those words are the words of Jesus Christ. So we don't have any words that are the opinions of John the Revelator or uh, uh, words that reflect instructions or comments from angels or anyone else, any other entity or person, 100% of the words in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation are the words of Jesus Christ. If you use a red-letter Bible, you'll see that in chapters 2 and 3. So these seven letters are specifically seven prophetic words And each word, if you will, in other words, each letter is to a specific church. So at that time on the earth, there were seven churches. Today, uh, I'm not able to report the specific number of churches that exist in our world, but certainly it's in the thousands, if not in the millions, right? So at that time, uh, soon after... Uh, at that time when Jesus Christ was on the earth and soon after uh, his death, there weren't that many churches. So in chapters 2 and 3, we have Jesus Christ sharing with John the Revelator a specific letter that he was to send to uh, each of the seven churches. And in each letter, Uh, three or four things happen. Number one, if there's any praise to give to the people of that church and what's happening with them, Jesus gives them praise. If there's any criticism, uh, and there's criticism for, if there's any criticism, he shares criticism, words of correction, words of rebuke, and in some cases, both of those things. And then finally, what is shared in, each of the seven letters, words of encouragement that reflect some of the rewards that will be given to each person who is in Christ. So in the same way, 
that there are rewards for working a job on this earth. Normally that reward is a paycheck. There are rewards for being a believer in Christ. There are rewards for being victorious. In other words, there are rewards for being reconciled to God the Father. There are rewards for being in right standing with God. There are rewards for receiving Jesus Christ. And so Jesus shares some of these rewards, um, and he doesn't repeat the same rewards over and over again. For each of the seven churches, he chooses to share something specific about the rewards. The value in that for us today, there's much value. Specifically, we see things that God hates. We see things that God hates and the constructive criticism and rebukes that he shared uh, based on some of the actions, activities that were happening in some of those seven churches. So what were those churches? Thyatira, Philadelphia, Sardis, uh, Laodicea. So you, you've heard teaching, no doubt, on these seven churches before. If you're looking for hope in the book of Revelation, one of the places to find it is in chapters 2 and 3, because at the end of every letter, Jesus shares, again, the rewards of being victorious. So I want to share with you briefly, as we're talking about part 3 of the book of Revelation, what those rewards are. So Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 2, uh, in his uh, letter, in his letter to the very first church, Ephesus, verse seven of chapter two, he who is able to hear, let him listen to and give heed to what the Spirit says to the assemblies, churches. Here's the reward. To him who overcomes is victorious. I will grant to eat of the fruit. Of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So that's a reward not only for the people in the church of Ephesus, uh, and this letter was specifically to the people of the church of Ephesus, but this is to everyone who is victorious. So that was a specific letter for people today, but the relevance exceeds those, uh, the relevance is not limited to those who were at that church, right? Jesus says, to him who overcomes is victorious. So that includes every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, every truth seeker who finds and follows God's plan for salvation. Then another reward in part three of the book of Revelation, talking to Smyrna, Jesus says verbatim, quote, verse 11 of chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, he who overcomes is victorious shall in no way be injured by the second death. Hallelujah. You want that reward. Now, you might say, well, what's the second death? The second death is a permanent death. In the Bible, the first death is referred to more than a dozen times as falling asleep. And the reason is every human being with the exception of the Antichrist and the false pr 
prophet will participate in either the first resurrection or the second resurrection. The first resurrection is for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There is a transition from being disembodied for those who have fallen asleep. In other words, for those who have died as a result of mortality, in the first resurrection, those disembodied individuals are re-embodied. In other words, their bodies are reconstituted. They, their bodies rise from the grave, reconstituted with 100% error-free DNA, and we're told that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of the dead, and of course, those who participate in the first resurrection follow him, are given bodies. We will be given bodies just like the one that Jesus Christ currently has. It's a body that will allow us to live on this present earth, a body that will allow us to live on the new earth to come. It's an incorruptible body. It's an immortal body. I think that, like me, you want that body. So, he who overcomes is victorious shall in no way be injured by the second death. So there's the first resurrection. Every person who participates in the first resurrection avoids the second death. Well, what's that? The second death happens after the second resurrection. Where is that in the Bible? That's in Revelation chapter 20. So John the Revelator tells us in the millennial reign prophecy that the remainder of the dead in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, he tells us that the remainder of the dead, uh, verse 5, Verse 5, Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. The remainder of the dead were not resurrected until the thousand years was over. What he's talking about there in that millennial reign prophecy is that after the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ has happened, the third enemy of God is destroyed. He's put to the second death. What's that? Being thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever. Being forever separated from God. Being in a place separate from where God dwells and inhabits. So the Holy Spirit is here on the earth. Jesus Christ is in present heaven along with God the Father. Gehenna is the part of hell where there is sulfur and brimstone. And it is a forever destination. It's a final destination for those who experience the second death. So hallelujah, Jesus is saying, in verse 11, in one of these uh, seven letters for the seven churches, in the one uh, to Smyrna, he says, he who overcomes is victorious shall in no way be injured by the second death. So the second death, every person, after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, then the great white throne judgment happens. The only participants, those who have their cases 
heard and tried are the remainder of the dead. And so those individuals are resurrected. We're told in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, in the dead judged prophecy, that wherever they are, so some individuals who have died, they are, uh, they as disembodied spirits, they are prisoners. They're in the prisons of darkness. So they're in Hades, which is a physical location under the earth, in prisons of darkness, awaiting the great white throne judgment. So their bodies are reconstituted. Okay, how do you know this? Revelation chapter 20, death has to give them up. The sea has to give them up. Give them up what? Give up their bodies. Why? Because they are resurrected. But unfortunately, they aren't resurrected for the purposes of eternal life. They aren't resurrected to an immortal body that will allow them to live forever and ever and that uh, listen let me just cut to the chase every person who participates in the second resurrection goes to the second death so when Jesus says in verse 11 of chapter 2 he who overcomes is victorious in other words he who lives and dies in Christ shall in no way be injured by the second death. So in no way will a person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, in no way will he or she experience the fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone. What else do you get? To Pergamum, he shares, uh, again, words of Jesus in part three of the book of Revelation, to him who overcomes, conquers, I will give to eat of the manna that is hidden. And I will give him a white stone with the new name engraved on the stone, which no one knows or understands except he who receives it. You get a new name, which you will understand. No one else will understand it, but you and the Lord will understand it. An interesting thing is uh, in... In Native American culture and in some African cultures, when you have different experiences in life, you get a new name. You get a new name to reflect uh, accomplishments or a new phase of life, an assignment that you have. I recall uh, when I was in grade school, I went to a an unusual school. And part of what they did in this school is that many students would get a new name. And so they gave me, my teacher gave me a new name, and I was known by that name from that point forward, which is until I graduated in eighth grade, and my new name was Akila, A-K-I-L-A-H. And my teacher said, uh, you get this name because it means intelligent one who reasons well, now what do you do well? What do you do well? Jesus Christ knows. And a new name awaits every believer. He promises to give you a white stone with your new name. It's going to be a wonderful name. 
And no one knows or understands it except for he who receives it. So that will be you. Terrific. Let's keep going. What else do you get as a person who uh, lives and dies in Christ? Jesus says in verse 23 of chapter 2, I will give to each of you the reward for what you have done as your work deserves. This is very exciting. I was asked earlier this week by a believer and truth seeker, uh, what is what is Judgment Day for believers? Well, it's reflected, the reality of judgment for believers is reflected here. Uh, we're going to look at this verse, verse 23 of chapter 2, I will give to each of you, the reward for what you have done as your work deserves. So remember, in these seven letters to seven churches, there's a thoughtful format that Jesus follows. It's like a beautiful poem. The layout, the layout for the writing, how it's organized, and uh, the flow of it is just is very wonderful when you read. Uh, these seven letters to seven churches in their entirety. And so each one ends with the rewards, the good things that happens for those who believe in, trust in, and rely on Jesus Christ. So judgment for the believer is an evaluation of the extent to which rewards are merited or warranted so judgment for a believer is not the great white throne judgment revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 the great white throne judgment is for those who are not protected from the second death for those who do not participate in the first resurrection it's for the goats the tares the weeds the bad fish those who belong to this world, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the great white throne judgment. God's wrath, also another part of God's judgment, God's wrath, the seven final plagues. The seven final plagues are the wrath of God towards who? Towards those who have rejected Jesus Christ, not those who have accepted Jesus Christ. So what is the judgment for a believer? Here it is. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, I will give to each of you the reward for what you have done as your work deserves. And earlier in this uh, verse, Jesus says, I am he who searches minds, the thoughts, feelings, and purposes and the inmost hearts, and I will give to each of you the reward for what you have done as your work deserves. Now, you might say, are you sure, Book of Revelation research scientists, are you sure, Nicole, that that's what judgment is for the believer? My perception as I read the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible, but specifically talking about the book of Revelation, is that the answer to that Excellent question is yes. Where else is judgment for the believer in the book of Revelation? In its conclusion, 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, and I shall bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and render to each one just what his own actions and his own work merit. So a reward, something positive. So rewards reflect judgment, uh, the reward activities, the rewards that will be handed out reflect an evaluation from Jesus Christ of the extent to which a believer has work that merits a reward. Now, I don't see here in the book of Revelation what the rewards are, but imagine, imagine how awesome the reward will be when a person knows everything about you. So a mom, dad, sister, brother, husband, wife, best friend, boss, uh, employee may study you or me in an attempt to figure out what what would so-and-so like, right? And so, for example, I do my best when I want to get a gift for someone to to think about, figure out what would the person like or what does the person need or both, right? But I'm limited. My knowledge of the individual is finite. It's relatively Small, but God's knowledge of you and what you like and what you need and what makes your heart sing, what excites you, his knowledge is complete. He knows everything about you, even those things that you don't yet know about yourself. So his rewards will be awesome and amazing, no doubt. And he promises to give you Rewards, after searching your thoughts, feelings, and purposes, your inmost hearts, rewards um, for what you have done. You know, there's another part of the Bible where it says to give to the poor is to lend to the Lord and that he will repay. Okay, so let's keep going. What else in part three of the book of Revelation? So remember, part one is its preface, verses one to eight of chapter one. Part two is the formal introduction. Uh, words of John the Revelator and Jesus Christ. Part three, these seven letters to seven churches. There's six parts. Briefly, let me share the other rewards for those who are victorious. So we also learn in uh, in the letter to... Another church, let me tell you exactly which church this is. So that was in the letter to the church of Thyatira. And we're told that another reward is in verse 26. And he who overcomes is victorious and who obeys my commands to the very end. Doing the work, doing the works that please me, I will give him authority and power over the nations. So today when we look at our government, we have governments who are endowed with authority because we're trusting them to use that authority in a way that God has ordained. 
Sometimes that happens. Often it doesn't happen. So at this point on the present earth, beginning with the commencement of the government of Jesus Christ that immediately follows after the Battle of Armageddon, and here we say, well, what am, what am I going to be doing on the earth after Jesus comes? Well, one of the things that will happen for every believer is Jesus will, quote, give him authority and power over the nations. So what does that mean? It might mean being a mayor. It could mean being a governor. It could mean being a president. It could mean being any any number of roles, but a leadership role for the purposes of establishing and maintaining order. And it says in verse 27, and he shall rule them with the scepter rod of iron as with as when earthen pots are broken in pieces and his power over them shall be like that which I myself have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. Of course, he's the morning star. So he gives himself to you and to me as believers. Now, it's interesting here. He shall rule them with the scepter rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Do you know that with the wrath of God that culminates with the battle of Armageddon as described in Revelation 15 and 16, the earth will be in shambles. When Jesus returns, the earth is going to be in shambles. You say, well, how and why? Well, there's the wrath of Satan, the great tribulation. That's three and a half years, followed by the wrath of God, the seven final plagues that culminate but are not limited to the Battle of Armageddon. They culminate with the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, The earth is going to be in shambles. But you and I and our fellow believers, what shall we do? We shall help to establish order and maintain order with the authority that we are endowed with in the new government, the government of Jesus Christ. And when believers are in their appointed roles, in our appointed roles, we will lead, and it'll be like earthen pots that are broken in pieces, right? Bringing things back together. Let's continue. What else uh, in part three of the book of Revelation in terms of rewards for believers in the letter to Sardis Jesus reports, thus shall he who conquers is victorious, be clad in white garments, and I will not erase or blot out his name from the book of life. I will acknowledge him as mine, and I will confess his name openly before my father and before his angels. That's important. So if your name is not erased or blotted out of the book of life, That means that that is the evidence that is needed to ensure that you do not participate in the great white throne judgment. So at the great white throne judgment, two books will be examined for each litigant. Number one, we're told in the dead judged prophecy, the individual's own book or books. The book or books that report all the actions, activities, uh, 
heart's desires of those people, that book will be consulted as evidence to determine what is the fate of this person. The second book that will be consulted is the Lamb's Book of Life. When it is determined that the individual's name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the evidence, that's the final piece of evidence used to make a just ruling in the person's case. Let's look at it briefly. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 12, I also saw the dead, great and small. They stood before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, sentenced by what they had done, their whole way of feeling and acting, their aims and endeavors, in accordance with what was recorded in the books. Then it says in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, He was hurled into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Okay. Now, what else do you get? So you get your name not being erased or blotted out of the book of life, which means that you will surely, necessarily, be exempt from the second death. Okay. So that is a wonderful thing. Also, Verse 10 of chapter 3, another reward for believers, Jesus says, quote, I also will keep you safe from the hour of trial testing, which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. Hallelujah. You want to be safe from the seven final plagues, including that hour of trial and testing. Okay, verse 12, chapter 3, he who overcomes is victorious, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. He shall never be put out of it or go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends from my God out of heaven and my own new name. You want the mark of God on you. You want him to write his name on you. You don't want Satan to write his name or number on you. You don't want the mark of the beast. You want the mark of God. And he promises that for every believer. Then, finally, Jesus says in a letter to Laodicea, He who overcomes is victorious. I will grant him to sit beside me on my throne as I myself overcame was victorious and sat down beside my father on his throne. So when Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne, in uh, when his government has been established, and he is king of all kings and lord of all lords on this present earth in the time to come, don't you want to get to sit next to him? You know, that's better than sitting next to the prime minister of the U.K. or the president of the United States or the emperor of uh, Japan. You know, we can go on like that. So you will, Jesus promises, I will grant you, in other words, every person who is victorious, to sit beside me on my throne as I myself overcame, was victorious, and sat down beside my father on his throne. Hallelujah. 
Okay, so that's part three of the book of Revelation. There's six parts I want to share with you, a brief overview of how it's organized. Chapters two and three in the seven letters to the seven churches, this is the only part of the book of Revelation where there's content that is focused narrowly, not the part that we talked about, which is relevant for everyone, but there's content that's narrowly focused on the experiences of individuals at that present time on the earth. So every person who lived on the earth at that time is disembodied. All those individuals have experienced the first death. Either they are living in present heaven or they're living in Hades in a prison of darkness. All those people have died. But at the time when they were alive, some number of those individuals were in these seven churches. They had real issues, issues reflecting good deeds and uh, their activities that were in alignment with the will and purposes of God for their lives. And they had problems where they had erred, where they were outside the will of God, where they were failing to follow God's agenda for their lives. So those issues are addressed by Jesus Christ. And that's the only place in the book of Revelation where we see some focus specifically on, hey, what's going on with us? In other words, the people who lived at that time. And what does Jesus have to say to us specifically? Now, you see this pattern when we look at 11 of the 12 books of the minor prophets. God talks to the prophets about specifically what's going on with the people at that time, sometimes about their future, but about what's going on with them right now. Then he starts talking about on that day, talking about the Battle of Armageddon. We see that over and over again. Part four of the book of Revelation is chapter four. That makes it easy to remember. That's John's report on heaven. So John was actually called up to heaven. Although he lived in a mortal body on this present earth, he was called up to heaven. He goes there. He goes to heaven as a person who is alive, just like you and me, we're alive on this present earth. He was called up to heaven. He went to heaven. You know, I see on YouTube all these people reporting they went to heaven. Uh, some have asked, do you, do you believe these videos? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think some people really have had experiences in heaven, and, of course, there are those who are deceivers who haven't. Uh, so, we know for sure that John went to heaven. If you want to know, what did he actually see in heaven? What does heaven look like? What beings are present in heaven? There's some really interesting things that John saw when he was in heaven. So his report on how it all happened, so he kind of picks up with where he ends in chapter 1, after Jesus has these words for John's people, in other words, his co-laborers in Christ at that time, then John picks up with his next supernatural experience. So he's on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus Christ starts talking to him. Then in chapters 2 and 3, everything Jesus said verbatim, 
for John's co-laborers in Christ, people also in church, Christians, chapters 2 and 3. Then John continues. He picks up with his supernatural experience. Now, after Jesus finished talking about what is happening with the churches, now he hears a voice, and he's called up to heaven, and he goes. He tells us in chapter 4, part 4 of the book of Revelation, what he sees when he's literally in heaven. I just want to share a couple verses, giving a brief overview of the book of Revelation. Then we're going to the earth read prophecy. I want to share with you very briefly uh, some of what he saw. So John says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, after this, so this is after the seven letters to the seven churches, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard addressing me, that was the voice of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, in the introduction, and the first voice which I had heard addressing me like the calling of a war trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place in the future. So Jesus is talking to John, tells him, come up here. So, of course, uh, then he's up there. Where? He's in heaven. He is in heaven. Now, what does he see? This is all in chapter 4. There are 11 verses. I just want to share some of the most interesting parts. Uh, let's see. John says, And he who sat there appeared like the crystalline brightness of Jasper in the fiery Sardius in encircling the throne. So he sees the throne. There was a halo that looked like a rainbow of emerald. Then he says in verse 5, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven blazing torches burned, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says, and the four living creatures individually having six wings were full of eyes all over and within underneath their wings. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, omnipotent, who was and who is and who is to come. So I'm going to pause there. So he sees some interesting things in heaven, including some beings that have six wings. So I want to move on, but if you are curious and you want to know for sure, what does heaven look like? You know, it's one thing for somebody that we know or that we see on YouTube or television or we read about in a book. Uh, it's one thing to read that person's report on heaven. It's another thing to read a report on heaven in the Bible. We know for a fact that the word of God is infallible. It's 100% true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if you're curious about what heaven looks like, I encourage you to look at Revelation chapter 4, John's report on heaven. That's what it is, and it's the fourth part of the book of Revelation. Two more parts. 
the fifth part of the book of Revelation, this is the part that we primarily focus on on this program, PGN's Secrets Refilled, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. This is the part of the book of Revelation where John reports the visions that he was shown. In other words, he was shown moving pictures. So these visions were moving pictures with words. Today we would refer to them as movies, and further we'd refer to them as a specific kind of movie, a documentary, because they reveal future realities. Uh, Some past, but mostly future realities. So he was shown visions, moving pictures, movies, documentaries about important events reflecting the destiny of mankind. Don't you want to know about the destiny of mankind? So the destiny is not about what happens in a relatively short lifespan that's maybe 50 years, or if you're fortunate, 70 years, or if you're super fortunate, let's say 90 years. Recently, Pat Robinson, uh, a wonderful believer, I loved watching the 700 Club, so don't write me any ugly letters or text messages. No one's perfect. I know people have strong feelings, positive and negative, about Pat Robinson, but he was a strong believer, a man of God, and uh, he lived a really long life, and that is terrific. But most important is not the 90 and some odd years that he lived on this earth, but what's most important is the eternal life that he has to come. So he resides in present heaven, but ultimately he's coming back. He's coming back as a disembodied spirit, and he's going to put on his glorified, perfected, immortal body. And when he puts that on, now he's three in one. He's restored, but it'll be better than he ever was. He'll look better than he ever looked. He'll be stronger than he's ever been. His mind will be sharper than his best day. So you might recall that he was a lawyer, went to law school, went to Yale, as I recall. Uh, So, you know, I imagine the brain was working pretty well, but it's it's never been at 100%. Why? We've inherited things from our foremothers and forefathers that makes our DNA full of errors in its coding but when we transition from mortality to immortality we'll be in a peak performance body 100 percent free of dna errors hallelujah so part five of the book of revelation what is it it's all of the documentaries john the revelator was shown so verse one of chapter five so after john's report on heaven In chapter 4, then we have, from that point forward, all the way until verse 5 of chapter 22. So chapters 5, 6, 7, 8. Continue all the way to verse 5 of 22. It's just those visions. So on this program, every program is about a specific documentary in the book of Revelation. There are 12 of them by my analysis. So my assignment in life 
is to be a research scientist for the book of Revelation. That's my assignment. I, you know, I don't know why God gave me that assignment. I'm hardly uh, qualified. That's the assignment God gave me for whatever reasons. God is smarter than I am. I'm going with it. I'm going with it. I'm 100% committed to studying the book of Revelation and to communicating what God reveals to me, what God has shown me. So what did God show me? In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator was shown documentaries all in a row. Now, did he know that these were discrete documentaries? I don't know. We don't hear his commentary or his reflection on these visions. We have his report of the documentary. So let's say, um, let's say that you went to see a movie. Uh, so I'm trying to think of a documentary. Let's say that you went to see um, a documentary on President Lincoln, and then God told you, write down, God told you before you go to see the documentary, I'm, I'm going to have an angel show you a documentary about Lincoln, and then I want you to write it down. Write down everything that you see in the documentary. So that is the assignment John was given to write down everything he saw. We're told that in the preface for the book of Revelation and in its introduction in chapter 1. So he did that. And so what he saw in part 5 of the book of Revelation, the bulk of it are documentaries. So by my analysis, there are 12 documentaries. So there's the first documentary, the seven Seals documentary, and there's the second documentary, Seven Trumpets Prophecy or Documentary. There's a third documentary, the 1,260 Days Prophecy. Fourth documentary, 666 Antichrist documentary. Fifth, 144,000 First Fruits Prophecy. Sixth, the Earth Reap Prophecy. We'll be talking about it today. Seventh prophecy, the Seven Plagues Prophecy. The eighth documentary, the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy. Ninth documentary, the Marriage Supper Prophecy. Tenth, the Millennial Reign Prophecy. Eleventh, the Dead Judge Prophecy. Twelfth prophecy, the New Earth Prophecy. Let me say briefly in a sentence or two, maybe three, what each of these uh, documentaries is about. And you might say, well, why why are you telling us all this? In order to unlock the secrets of the book of Revelation, you have to know where you are. You have to know where you are in the book of Revelation. And when you know where you are in the book of Revelation, that unlocks your ability to know when you are in time. So the book of Revelation is the culminating work of the Bible. So it's not focused on what is happening at one point in time. 
it's focused on what is happening across time, across time and even beyond time. You say, well, how can it focus on, focus on what happens beyond time? Time will never end. No, no, no. Time is coming to an end. We are, we are going to the new earth and that's beyond time. That the end of time happens at the conclusion of the great white throne judgment when the fifth and final enemy of God is destroyed. At that point, this earth, its purposes have ended. It, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, this present earth, it will wear out like an old piece of clothing and it will be folded up like an old piece of clothing. In other words, this present earth, it will be no more, but there's no reason to despair. We're transitioning to a new earth, which will be as great as or better than the earth that Adam and Eve dwelled on before sin occurred. The pres- the new earth is so amazing that God is going to relocate God the Father after Jesus destroys the five enemies of God, the new earth is so amazing that God the Father is going to relocate his house from present heaven to the new earth. Where is that? In the book of Revelation, in the new earth prophecy. So let me tell you briefly about, uh, in a sentence or two or maybe three, what each of these 12 documentaries is about. And let me say the sixth and final part of the book of Revelation is its conclusion, is its conclusion. Okay, so before we get to the conclusion, we have the meat of it, the the main dish, if you will. And it's these 12 documentaries John the Revelator was shown. So the first one is the Seven Seals documentary, the Seven Seals Prophecy, if you will. Uh, in the Amplified Classic Translation of the Bible, these visions are referred to as statements of prophecy. And literally, it's John having recorded what he was shown, not in a vision that he caused himself to have, but in a vision shown to him by an angel at the upon the instruction of Jesus Christ. And this vision was created by an omniscient God for the purposes of revealing not only to John the Revelator, but to all believers who would have the ability to read the Bible, the events to come. So in the first documentary, John the Revelator was shown the seven seals prophecy There's a report on many things. This prophecy uh, is extremely complex. I'm believing God to continue to reveal its secrets uh, to me. But some of what the Lord has revealed is that it includes what happens over time, including, including what happens for all believers who die in Christ. So the believers who die, um, the believers who die in Christ 
and those believers who are here on the earth, that's the harvest, right? Every person who becomes a part of God's forever family. So God's forever family, we see in the seven seals prophecy, in the end, it includes uh, three parts. Those individuals who are in heaven, who transition from mortality to immortality when they put on their bodies that rise from the grave. Those individuals who are on the earth at the time of the second coming. And then there are 144,000 individuals who are there. They are there in Israel at the time of the second coming after the first resurrection. So at time A, Jesus returns and there's the first resurrection. At time B, there's the Battle of Armageddon. Now he comes to fight the Battle of Armageddon for Israel. So I said one, two, or three sentences. That's revealed in the Seven Seals Prophecy, Chapter 7. So the Seven Seals Prophecy goes from verse 1 of Chapter 5 to verse 1 of Chapter 8. The Seven Trumpets documentary focuses on the events leading up to the Great Tribulation, including including the experiences of the two witnesses and the reality of the third temple having been rebuilt. So as you may know, we await the rebuilding of God's temple on the Temple Mount in Israel. The second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Roman soldiers. So 70 A.D., 100 A.D., 200, 300, 400, 500. Let's fast forward to some years maybe you and I can think about 1800s, our great-great-great-grandparents maybe, 1900s, 2000s. We're still, we're still, we're still awaiting the rebuilding of uh, the third temple well. Israel came together supernaturally after not existing as a physical nation uh, with defined, uh, not existing with land that they legally owned with respect to how the world looks at legal ownership. 1948, supernaturally, Israel was uh, restored uh, people, biological Jews from all over the world uh, began Aliyah, a return to the homeland, and very soon the third temple will be rebuilt. Now, in the Seven Trumpets documentary, beginning with verse 2 of chapter 8 to the end of chapter 11, there's a report uh, on these events um, Okay, uh, and by the way, it culminates with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The third statement of prophecy, in other words, the third documentary in the book of Revelation is the 1,260 days documentary. This is specifically about what happens during the great tribulation to the woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, with the crown-like garland tiara of 12 stars on her head, 
In other words, what happens to Israel during the Great Tribulation? Chapter 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy is what happens to the church during that same period, the Great Tribulation, the wrath of God. So at the end of the 1,260 days documentary, we're told, so then the dragon was furious, enraged at the woman, talking about Israel, and he went away to wage war on the remainder of her descendants, on those who obey God's commandments and who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who's that? Christians. So chapter 12 talks about what happens to Israel during the Great Tribulation, and there's a revealing that the war waged on Israel led by the Antichrist, it will then be extended after a specific event noted in the 1260 days prophecy, it will be extended to uh, being a worldwide war also on Christians. And the experience of that, the worldwide war on Christians, is reported in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Chapter 14 has two prophecies. The first one, the fifth documentary, the 144,000 first fruits prophecy, that talks about what happens to the Jews who are there who will participate in the harvest. So in the seven seals prophecy, we're told that they are going to be marked so that when the Battle of Armageddon happens, they are not destroyed. So in other words, they have to transition from mortality to immortality so that they will not be destroyed, and they're also going to participate in the Battle of Armageddon. That's reported in the books of the Minor Prophets. Due to time constraints, we won't, won't go there right now, but I would like to go there in a future talk but these 144,000 they are a big deal all Israel will be saved it says in Romans after the fullness of Gentiles comes in all Israel will be saved was that me well the reality of it the reality of it is revealed in the 144,000 first fruits prophecy that's in chapter 14 verses 1 to 5 then in the earth reap prophecy which we're talking about today that's the harvest that includes, that's the part of the harvest that includes believers who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming. So there are, uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Chapters 15 and 16 have the seventh documentary, the seven plagues documentary, that's the wrath of God. It happens for the purposes of punishing, testing those who belong to this world. It culminates. It's not limited to, but it culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. The eighth documentary, John the Revelator, was shown, the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy, also focuses on the judgment of God, the wrath of God, which happens after the Great Tribulation. 
there's a wrath of Satan, the Great Tribulation. We hear all about it in the 1,260 Days documentary. Then in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Now, well, what about when Jesus returns? When we get to chapter 14, from that point forward, we're just talking about what happens uh, with respect to the wrath of God. So everything that Satan was going to do, everything that he wanted to accomplish, that's up to chapter 13. Uh, that fourth statement of prophecy, beginning with the fifth statement of prophecy, we're on to what is what is Jesus Christ doing so we hear about the harvest of the 144,000. That's the fifth documentary. We hear about the harvest of those of us who are here at the time of the second coming. That's the earth reap prophecy we're going to focus on today. Uh, then in chapters 15 and 16, God's wrath, the seven plagues prophecy, culminating with the battle of Armageddon, but also including, do you know God's going to cause a blackout? So the headquarters of the Antichrist, it's going to be, the power is going to go out. So in the location where the the headquarters on this present earth of the Antichrist, it's going to have a blackout. And that's a signal that Satan, your power is going out. Power down because the return of Jesus Christ is eminent that's the fifth of the seven final plagues the sixth one the supernatural drying up the euphrates river so that they can walk the armies of the world they're going to go that's the exact path they're going to follow so they can come to the appointed location of the battle of armageddon and of course there then there is the battle of armageddon then there's the eighth documentary the purple and scarlet prophecy you know, the seven final plagues reflect the wrath of God. It includes, but it's not limited to the battle of Armageddon. The wrath of God is also coming upon the one world religion that will be promoted by the false prophet. So there will be a ten-nation alliance that promotes a one world government. Now, this government won't be as great uh, as uh, the one world government that Nebuchadnezzar had. Or the one world government that the Greeks had, uh, uh, the one world government of uh, the, all those nations described in Media Persia. Uh, I'm sorry, described in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, then Media Persia, then there were uh, two other kingdoms. Finally, there's this fifth one world government. It will not be everything. So, no one world government will be as great as the one world government Nebuchadnezzar had, but there will be a ten-nation alliance that dominates economic and political affairs. The United States of America will not be a part of it. Uh, as described in Revelation chapter 12, the United States will be an ally of Israel. We will aid Israel during the Great Tribulation. But staying here, going back to the eighth, documentary in the book of revelation it's the purple and scarlet prophecy what happens to the location of the harlot church their headquarters so the headquarters of the harlot church that's the church that will promote a one world religion a false christianity 
a false Christianity, a one-world religion, a harlot church, and it has a headquarters in a city, Mystery Babylon. We're going to be talking about it in August. We're going to be talking about it in August. So that's the eighth documentary, um, and specifically it reports on the activities of this harlot church, uh, who runs the Harlot Church. It's the false prophet. You may know who it is. It reports the colors. What are their colors? Purple and scarlet. You might you might know. That that in and of itself is sufficient to point uh a truth seeker in the right direction. Uh so we learn about the activities of the one world religion in the Harlot Church and importantly about the demise, how that Harlot Church will be destroyed and its headquarters will be destroyed in a singular hour. So many of the nations will survive the wrath of God, including the Battle of Armageddon, but some will not. Some will not, and the location of the Harlot Church will not survive. It will be destroyed forever. So we're going to talk about that. The Purple and Scarlet Prophecy, that's chapters uh, 17 and 18, as well as the first five verses of chapter 19. Now, my favorite topic, I think, certainly in the top three, but right now my favorite topic uh, of all time, the Battle of Armageddon. There is a documentary in the book of Revelation that focuses exclusively on the Battle of Armageddon. So the Battle of Armageddon is mentioned over and over again in these documentaries. But each documentary has its own focus. For example, the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy focuses on what happens in the timing of the wrath of God, which culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. But but what what happens specifically on the headquarters of the Harlot Church, that location. But the marriage supper prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21, focuses on what happens exactly, precisely, specifically at the Battle of Armageddon. Very exciting. The Millennial Reign prophecy takes us to a report, a documentary, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, a documentary on, well, what happens after the Battle of Armageddon? So Jesus Christ fights and wins a war waged in righteousness called the Battle of Armageddon. He fights and wins that war. Then what? Then what happens? So at time A, there's the first resurrection. At time B, there's the Battle of Armageddon. What happens at time C? What's time C? The beginning of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. Let me say it again. Time A, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Time B, the Battle of Armageddon. Time C, the beginning of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. So we hear at the beginning of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth, the millennial reign prophecy. Now you might say, well, 
why is there a millennial reign prophecy? Why is it just about a thousand years? Like when Jesus comes, every problem is solved. No, every problem is not solved when Jesus Christ comes. Every problem is not solved when Jesus Christ comes. How do we know that? Because Satan is not destroyed when Jesus Christ comes. Satan is not destroyed until a thousand years later. There are people who survive the second coming of Jesus Christ who are not believers. There will be both those of us who are immortal in our peak performance forever bodies on the earth for a thousand years at the same time as some people who are in mortal bodies. And some of those people in mortal bodies will ally with Satan at the end of the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. So let me say briefly, the millennial reign prophecy communicates that Satan will be bound. So he gets into hand-to-hand combat with an angel. The angel dominates the fight puts Satan in a prison with a chain and locks it. Where's that prison? Under the earth. But Satan is only bound there for a thousand years. So to be in Hades is to be in a prison of darkness. It's a, a waiting, it's a, a waiting either, it, it's, a, it's a temporary location. So, there, Hades has prisons of darkness. It's a temporary location. It's a holding cell. Hell, when we talk about hell, there are different parts of hell. The part of hell that reflects eternal damnation is Gehenna. That's the location where there is the lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever. So in the millennial reign prophecy, at the beginning of the prophecy, verse 1 of chapter 20, there's the report, there's the report of Satan being transported to Hades. At the end of the millennial reign prophecy, he's released for a short while, then he goes to Gehenna. That's the lake of fire. That's when he's destroyed. So the lake of fire, remember, that's the second death. So then he goes there, the second death. So when Jesus Christ returns, every problem's not solved. Every problem's not solved until all five of God's enemies are destroyed. What's God's plan for destruction? The second death. So when Satan is destroyed, that's the third of God's enemies that were destroyed. First the Antichrist, then the false prophet, then Satan. Then everyone who's team Satan, everyone who's rejected Jesus, and then finally death itself. So the 10th prophecy is the dead judged. I'm sorry, the 11th prophecy is the dead judged prophecy. The 10th prophecy was the millennial reign prophecy. The 11th prophecy or 11th documentary, however you want to think about this, the 11th documentary about future events, that's the documentary on the great white throne judgment. What happens at the time of the second resurrection after a thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, when the re- remainder of the dead are resurrected, and what happens when they participate in the great white throne judgment? The final prophecy 
the new earth prophecy is what happens after the end of time. Finally, uh, in that new earth prophecy, we hear about what happens after the end of time. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. We live on earth with every believer who has ever lived, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, perhaps your grandmother, grandfather, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your niece, your nephew, your best friend, your neighbor, every person who has died in Christ and every person who is in Christ at the time of the second coming and all Israel who's given the mark of God at the time of the second coming for the purposes of uh, fighting in the battle of Armageddon with him, all three parts of the harvest. We are part of God's forever family. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We live on the new earth with him forever and ever. That's eternal life in a physical, tangible body. Hallelujah. A body that will never die. Now, what about this earth reaped prophecy? So it's the... Sixth documentary in the book of Revelation, and I want to go to it now. What happens to those of us who are in Christ at the time of the second coming? Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, talking about Jesus Christ, it says, Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. Friend and truth seeker, you are a part of the crop on earth. Every person who's here at the time of the second coming is a part of the crop on earth. And it says, So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told that there's an order. Those who are in heaven first, they are reaped. In other words, first they transition from mortality to immortality. Second, those of us who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming, also this is reported in Corinthians, we transition from mortality to immortality. Then in verse 16 here in chapter 14 it says, So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. Now, what about the rest of the earth? What about the rest of the earth? So some people will not transition from mortality to immortality. But every person in whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be a part of God's forever family, and that is the appointed time reported in chapter 14 when we transition from mortality to immortality. We participate in the first resurrection. Those who have taken the mark of the beast and who are in the armies led by the Antichrist and the kings of the world, they will die by the sword that comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And the carnage of the millions of people who have invaded Israel. So there'll be the armies led by Jesus Christ, the armies of heaven, led by the armies of this world. 100% of those individuals in the armies, they will experience death 
They will die in this war, and it will create a river of blood that's 180 miles long. Let's hear about it. Continuing in Revelation 14, the last three verses, 17 to 20. After that, so after time A, time A, the first resurrection, first resurrection includes three parts. But we talked about the part, those of us who are here on earth, we transition from mortality to immortality. That's here in Revelation 14. Now, now at time B, we're in the battle of Armageddon. So this prophecy doesn't focus exclusively on the battle of Armageddon, but it reports what happens to those who have taken the mark of the beast and who are there at the battle of Armageddon fighting against Jesus Christ, it says in verse 17, after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. That is the conclusion of the earth-reaped prophecy. Those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life we are reaped. We transition from mortality to immortality. We become a part of God's forever family. We're with him three in one, body, spirit, and soul in an incorruptible body. And the grapes, the grapes, those who are in the clusters of grapes, those who have believed the Antichrist, they have believed the false prophet. They have taken the mark of the beast. They have allowed themselves to join the armies of the world. They are there in Israel. And in Revelation chapter 19, verses uh, 20 and 21, we hear that the sharp-edged sword extends from the mouth of Jesus Christ and 100% of the individuals are killed. In other words, their bodies are destroyed. They become disembodied. All of those who are in the armies, they then go as disembodied spirits to Hades where they will be in a prison of darkness until the time of the great white throne judgment. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they are destroyed, but instead of going to Hades, they go straight to Gehenna. They are the first two enemies of God to be destroyed. They experience the second death. Uh, so here in chapter 14, we heard what happens to those who are in the armies led by the Antichrist. They are killed, and 180 miles of blood. That's how many there are. Millions are going to be in these armies that come to fight against Jerusalem. Friend and truth seeker, I hope this has been an interesting discussion for you. I invite you to text in your question about the book of Revelation, question or comment to one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine.
1-214-505-8719. I invite you to be with me and to be with us every Sunday, 12 p.m. Texas time, every Thursday, 9 a.m. Texas time. If you haven't done so, I encourage you today, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. Thank you for being with me and with us. Until next time.